Ahoy, welcome into the Meglerverse, where I, Dan Megler, social worker and life enthusiast, try to pull back the curtain on mental health issues and help you to hopefully benefit from my experience and the experience of some of my clients in managing this world. We allow it, not allowed to die. We say you're allowed to do anything it takes to get you through this world. You are just not allowed to die. In addition, we really hope you don't hurt other people or animals along the way. That's uh, something that we, uh, in, I'm a mandated reporter. And what that means is if for most therapists or teachers, coaches, that kind of thing, you are mandated by law, if you hear about abuse and neglect, to report that to the appropriate authorities. And that's children, of the elderly, of anybody who really can't care for themselves or pr protect themselves. And when I run groups, the students in the groups have often added in that they want me to be a mandated reporter about animal abuse. So just letting anybody here know, if you do write in for with a, to uh, daniel.magler at live.com with questions for me, and you divulge that you are abusing elderly people, people with disabilities, children, or animals, I will report <clears throat> you to the local appropriate authorities. Um, just because uh, we're at the Not Allowed to Die podcast, while we appreciate that you may have to do some things, we, we, we frown on those behaviors. So today, I wanted to talk a little bit about some of the theoretical underpinnings of way I come at problems. And in social work school, they don't necessarily tell you this is the way you need to look at things. They encourage us to really be strengths-based and focused on people's strengths rather than on their problems. But they don't say, okay, you need to follow CBT or, um, you know, DBT or psychodynamic theory. You're allowed, you're exposed to all these different ideas, and then you're expected to do more research on your own to figure out what you like. And I take little pieces of everything that I've learned. And so my style is a bit more eclectic with a lot of cognitive behavioral therapy uh, things. But REBT, rational emotive behavioral therapy, when I learned about it, is something that really speaks to me. To me, and I'll try to summarize this and again, write in, comment, do whatever if you have a different conception of REBT, but it's this idea that anytime I have a strong feeling or emotion that I don't like or that I do like, but I like too much, I have to stop and ask myself, is this what any normal healthy person would be feeling under the same circumstances? And if the answer is no, then I have to look back and say, okay, what's different about me and what I believe than what another person going through this same experience would be? So Albert Ellis, the father of REBT, he said, A does not equal C. So for him, A was the antecedent, the thing that happened to us. So if two different people walk into their doctor's office and they both get diagnosed with cancer. So I said, my brother and my brother-in-law literally both got diagnosed with the same kind of throat cancer earlier this year. And when they walk out, they don't necessarily feel exactly the same thing. Why is that? Well, he would say A does not equal C, antecedent does not equal consequence because of B. B is your beliefs. So A plus B equals C. And so it's we, when, we, so when we find that we have a reaction that is maladaptive, meaning it's causing us challenges, we have to say, what's different about what I believe? And where did I get these thoughts and feelings? How did I develop them? And so that's what we spend a lot of my, my time in therapy doing is saying, okay, like challenging these, what some might call thought distortions or saying, you know, where did that come from originally? In my experience, for most people who are say filled with self-loathing, that self-loathing, as we talked about before, may come from an early trauma. Um, but it's often a childhood experience that was really unpleasant that either happened to us or we witnessed or whatnot. And children are 
and I don't mean to say this in a bad way, they're just incredibly self-centered. They are the center of their own universe. And so anything that happens, they will find a way to make themselves the center of it. So if my parents are getting divorced, if my dog dies, if anything, somehow, if I could have behaved differently, maybe I could have controlled that, maybe I could have prevented that. And there's a positive to that viewpoint. The positive is if I can just be good enough, then maybe nothing bad will ever happen to me again. And in therapy, what I'm often trying to do is get people to give up that universe where they, the reason the universe keeps kicking their ass is because they're bad and instead trade it in for a universe that is random, that bad things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people. And we can't necessarily predict when those things are going to occur. And that seems like a pretty crappy trade. Who wouldn't like to live in a universe that was more structured and predictable? The problem with continuing to remain in that universe is it's not true. It's not real. We know that no little kid deserves cancer. So people don't get what they deserve in the universe that we share. They just get what they get. And the good news about that is that there is no limit to the amount of joy that we can go gather in our time in these human bodies. There's no limit to the amount of suffering that we may experience. So it's it's both scary and liberating. And as much as it's scary, that's the universe I want my clients to start to live in because now they can become responsible and they can figure out their goals and they can hopefully let go of this hating themselves and creating rules of a game that are stacked against them. So those are kind of the underpinnings. And again, a lot of so much of people's perspective is shaped by their life experience. And if time after time after time, you just keep getting a bad hand you start to feel like the game is rigged and there's just no point to even trying anymore. And though what we know from statistics is like, again, every time we flip that coin, there's a 50% chance. So just because it came up heads six times in a row before that, it's no more or less likely to come up heads the next time. And so we just have to go forward and we do tend to develop patterns. And so if we are finding that we keep finding the one guy, you know, who turns out to be a jerk, well, then the question is what's, what's going on internally that we're attracting that. And like, so it's not to say that there aren't patterns and that some people are less lucky, uh, but then a lot of, and again, sometimes, sometimes it's just random, but then there can also be a, oh gosh, I am attracted to people who are somewhat like this because that was the first example of love that I saw was from a dominant male who was mean and aggressive. So anyway, we can look into those patterns and say, but so dealing with a client this morning, he was feeling just, his energy was super, super low. And this is a client who has struggled with depression for a long time. When he was 16, 15, he went into treat a treatment program where he met a girl and they started dating and one thing led to another and she got pregnant. And so he's been a father since he was 16 years old. And he consistently has challenges with his child's mother. And that's a lot of people experience that. And his child is now five years old. And this challenge this, he's so overwhelmed. I think, my gosh, even after my child turns 18, it's going to be my child and her child for the rest of my life. And I'm going to keep having to deal with these mm, challenges that are raised by the mother of my child having some significant judgment issues and mental health issues. And it's not like he didn't know that going in. And it's not like he's judging her for having mental health issues, but he feels really, really overwhelmed by it right now. 
So in looking at his A equaling C, well, antecedent. I'm dealing with, you know, some custody type battles and things like that. And it's really making me feel exhausted. Would everyone be feeling that way? Answer, I think yes. So what we said for him, even though he is a person who has depression, this isn't, this doesn't sound like a depressed feeling. This is just a normal person reaction to a really hard situation. So then we went through though and started reframing it. And that as much as it is exhausting, it's still worth it. That his little boy, when he smiles, he lights the world on fire. And as exhausting as it is, then we start to ask, stop and ask ourselves, will we rather live in a world in a universe where his son was never born? And the answer is no. All the challenges that it brings for him, it's also been a, literally a lifesaver that he does not know if he would have gotten through his depression had it not been for these, this difficult opportunity. And so again, we look at the antecedent, the beliefs, and then the consequence. And I, I'm not trying to eliminate his exhaustion about dealing with custody things, even though we are trying to reframe it a little bit and say, maybe I, but because again, his response was normal and appropriate. If we're having last night, I was lying in bed and there was a thunderstorm. And I used to love the rain. I used to love to listen to the sound of the rain and thunder and whatnot. And then I bought a house that occasionally has a basement that floods. And my wife and I have spent tens of thousands of dollars <laughs> trying to keep our basement from flooding anymore. And still, and we haven't had water in quite some time. And yet, uh, every time it rains hard, I find myself awake just having to talk myself down and say, the flood control system works. We're going to be okay. Even if it does flood, we don't have carpet down there. It's all going to be okay. So sometimes in the middle of the night, we have to challenge and push back against the, that anxiety. And, and I would literally say to him, my anxiety, thank you for showing up. Thank you for making me aware. But I, have I done everything I needed to do? Is there anything else I can control right now? Well, I can't go up and push the clouds away. So I'm going to try to go back to sleep. So now let me try to think about something else. So anyway, that's a peek behind the curtain of how I tend to approach um, looking at problems and irrational beliefs. For some of my clients, when we find irrational beliefs, we will sometimes even actually write them out. I have a giant list of 60 rules for life that one of my clients made that were originally irrational beliefs that were unfair and that he wouldn't apply to anybody else. And we'll talk about this more on a podcast where I talk about no special rules, that you're not allowed to have rules that wouldn't apply to anybody else but you. And then we we smithed them and banged on them until they were rules that he felt like should really fit for everybody. And the, he, he decided that he wanted to pub, kind of publish those in my office and leave them for anybody else to see. So I think that's a good idea sometimes when we, when we find an irrational belief, we write it out, we share it. If we wouldn't think it applies to anybody else, then we may need to say, how can we not just reject it or ignore it? Because all of these feelings and thoughts have a function. And we'll get into that also in another podcast. Like, what is the, what is the function of it? And if I take it away, I could be doing some other damage unless I've replaced it with something that's better. So how can we replace it with something that's more healthy? So... If you have questions, if you have thoughts, please email me at daniel.magler, M-A-I-G-L-E-R, at live.com. And hopefully I will start having some guests on here uh, before too long. In the meantime, do whatever it takes to get you through this world. And remember, the only rule is you are not allowed to die.